you know, it wasn't like I wasn't aware of racism. It wasn't like I didn't understand that, you know, that was happening. But I think there was probably for me a sense of, oh, that doesn't happen here because I didn't see it. Like, oh, I could be engaging in this in ways that I don't even realize. This is United States of Race, personal stories of how our earliest memories determine a lifetime of relationships. I'm your host, D.B. Crema. On a recent trip to Europe, I was reminded how lucky, just how fortunate I've been through the pandemic in that we have a house that's large enough for us and plenty of outdoor space to spend time. And in cities, that just hasn't been the case. I imagine how disconnected people have felt trapped inside these small spaces. And it made me think as well about the intangible distance that exists between us. Each of us trapped inside the space of our own mind, feeling separated from everyone else. Much like the medieval forts I visited in Spain, generations of thoughts forming thick stone walls around us. And our own thoughts, they create this sometimes impenetrable distance or division between each of us. And today's conversation has got me thinking about one of the most durable dividers there is, white privilege. You know, the idea of white privilege is so difficult for some people to accept and deal with. And I think it's because it goes against some of our American identity. Pull yourself up by your bootstraps or if you can make it here, you can make it anywhere. You know, this idea of being scrappy and that we've each achieved our success because of our grit and perseverance and ingenuity. So for a person to accept that they've also benefited along the way from outside forces, or as Ryan puts it, that some have more safety net than others and that that affords a certain privilege to be able to take risks we otherwise wouldn't be able to. Well, that flies in the face of our self-made American man ethos. But it's BS because both those things can exist at the same time. And admitting and being aware, accepting that there are privileges not of your own making that have helped you along the way, well, that doesn't detract from the grit and perseverance you might also have exhibited. In fact, it adds to it. It shows humility and self-awareness, which are really attractive traits in some of the best leaders. So acknowledging one's privileges helps to start to address what's still not working in this country, systemic injustice. And that's the true spirit of what it is to be American, helping our fellow humans, thinking in terms of the well-being of the community, creating a just society where policies and practices make it such that everyone is afforded the same access to health, education, financial capital, physical safety. The list is endless. Because in the end, aren't we all better when everyone is able to be their best? When did you become aware of race? Aware of race. I think the two things that really stuck with me, and I was about race, but really starting to understand the issues of racism, that like racism was happening, uh, was my first year of college at the University of Washington. I was technically a junior, but I was about 18, 19 at the time. And 
being on the big campus, I remember I was trying out a bunch of different things and I ended up in a lecture and I don't exactly remember all the details of the lecture. I believe it had something to do with race or something going on at the time. This is like 1996. But I remember a young black woman stood up. She gave a short statement about, you know, it's not about you as a white person it being your fault. It's about you understanding the advantages that you have that I don't. And that statement, that woman framing that in that point, like really started to shift the way I interacted with the world and what racism might actually be. Huh. Uh-huh. So that, that memory really sticks out with me, I think, is just kind of going like, oh, there's probably a lot of things here I don't know. I mean, I grew up in a pretty, I would say, for the most part, largely white. You know, I did not, I would say, I did not have uh, much diversity of people in my life growing up. And that was like just a reflection of where we lived. Like, it just makes me think of my brother. He talked about how when he was a little kid, he remembers his like best friend was this black kid. And he was hanging over at his house one day. I think he said he was six. He remembers he was about six years old. And he asked the kid's mom, he was like, oh, why is so-and-so's hair curly? She flipped out on him. And so for a long time, you know, he always was just really confused by that like why did she yell at me and everything else and he said it was like at a later point in his life where he was like yeah you know now i kind of get it she's living in a pretty white area and she probably hears this a lot and everything else and it just hit the wrong moment and she flipped mm-hmm. out on him and it was just interesting to listen to my brother as he's like you know it always kind of confused him and then as he kind of became more educated over time was like oh now i think i see what's going on So I think about how that woman made that statement. And I think what that changed for me was a realization that, oh, there is racism potentially going on here and in my life that I don't know about. It was a thing, the way she put it, where it wasn't, she made it very clear. It wasn't like to necessarily blame you or put onus on you, but it was just to say, to wake you up, to say, hey, you know, there is a difference here. So I wouldn't say it was an easy thing to hear. But it was a, yeah, it was a positive and it made sense. And later that year, would have been early 1997, I went on a trip to Chicago. And, you know, I would never say I would think of myself as racist or anything else. And I remember I got on the L train in Chicago and I was listening to my headphones and I'm like not paying attention. I'm trying to go somewhere. And all of a sudden I looked up and I realized I was the only white person on this train. That everybody else was black. And I felt very uncomfortable. And then I was sat there and I was like uncomfortable with the fact that I was uncomfortable. Because I was like, why am I uncomfortable? You know? And partially realized that I was at that point also realized I was heading to southern Chicago. Which at the time people had warned me to stay away from. I, in, in hindsight, I really didn't know anything about it. So I did get off the train and go back. But again, that moment, I think, has always stuck with me to sit there and realize like, oh, wow, I do have this thing called bias. I do have this thing like I I did not feel comfortable and I had nothing to do with anybody else. There was nothing anybody else was doing. That was just me and whatever my experiences were that left with me. So for me, those are the earliest things where things were started to like click for me to understand like, hey, there's, you know, there's more going on here than I've ever realized. Right, right. I mean, it's interesting the pointing out the the experience on the the L on the way to the south side of Chicago. 
you had to become race aware all of a sudden because you were the minority. Mm-hmm. I could be engaging in this in ways that I don't even realize. So I think it made me just more aware and more open, you know, and I think maybe over time that led to more understanding of a time to say, oh, yes, I have privilege and trying to understand what that privilege is and how does that affect other people and how does that affect me? Right. Even the concept of race seemed to exist on the periphery of your life. Yeah. Like in talking with uh, my girlfriend about some of our experiences, my girlfriend is Asian, Filipino American, talking about how we went to Asia recently or the times we go to Asia and why she's so interested in Asia, because when she's there, even if it's not the Philippines, and even though, you know, she doesn't speak Tagalog, like totally like a native, she doesn't feel like she's standing out. And, you know, and I keep reflecting back on that because I, I think about times that I've traveled and been in other places and I'm like, oh, I get that. And it's different when that's, you know, if that's your experience the whole time to not have that identity, to not have that or to have only, you know, for her growing in SoCal to only have pockets of it, you know, when she was with her Filipino community or her family or at certain times. And so I think that has also like kind of have, see, having those moments of that and then reflecting like, what could that be over a lifetime? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Reaching back to that moment in your first year on on the like you know big campus, hearing that from that woman in your class, do you recall then how it changed your you know your your perspective, your view of what was going on around you? Yeah, I mean, part of this is a long time ago, so I'm trying to remember. Right. So some of this is maybe more reflection as being older, but I mean, yeah. I think one was you know it wasn't like I wasn't aware of racism. It wasn't like, you know, that's not, you know, I didn't understand that, you know, that was happening. But I think there was probably for me a sense of, oh, that doesn't happen here because I didn't see it, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, So I wouldn't say it was an easy thing to hear, but it was, uh, yeah, it was a positive and it made sense. Well, that it was positive says a lot because I think um, people have gotten to the point where the natural reaction is to almost close one's ears to that because to to accept that statement as fact and as the reality, it requires of one to to reflect on their own privileges, right? Yeah. And I think that it was a thing, the way she put it, where it wasn't, she made it very clear. It wasn't like to necessarily blame you or put onus on you, but it was just to say, to wake you up, to say, hey, you know, there is a difference here. And and I think that's what it is because sometimes you hear people's responses to these topics and they're defensive because like you said, it's getting at something there that they're not comfortable facing or they don't want to assume. Because I think a lot of people are doing, potentially saying racist things and they don't even realize it. And I include myself. Like, you know, over time, I look back at things I may have said in the past and go, oh, yeah, that may not have been. Now I have a new context. I think the one that's actually stuck with me recently is this whole frame about I don't see color. And I think at a time in my life, I would have said that. And now, you know, I think especially in this last year, I've come to understand that no, not seeing somebody for the color of their skin is not to recognize their background and their heritage and the experience that they have. And so I I get where people come from. And I think that's, again, we need to talk more about like, well, what does that mean when you're saying that? And what, what are we trying to say? Like, you know, what you're trying to say is you try to act to treat everybody equal. 
that is your purpose, but you may not always succeed. And if you don't think you're doing it, then that's a problem. Right, right. I know for a fact, I have said that. <laughs> I, I, have, <laughs> I, have, I have learned a lot over the years. And that's, I guess, the whole point of, you know, actively working towards anti-racism is that it is, you know, what do they say? It's not the destination, it's the journey. It's the work. It's the experience and learning each and every day. Um, so, yeah, I think sometimes the way that we view stuff is based on an individual basis. Well, so and so said that thing, but I think they were overreacting. Or this person said, "Oh, they were being racist toward me," but I think it's due to this, this, and this. And I understand that. And I think there are times, like I've certainly had some people make claims to me in the past that based on what I understood the situation, I was like, mm, I think there's another way to look at it. But at the same token, I was like, I'm not going to press it. You have experiences here that, you know, and I wasn't in the room all those times, like too often in America, and this is everybody is we use, this may be getting too nerdy here, but qualitative stories are meant to back up quantitative data. Like that is the point of those stories. Our individual stories are to back up to the, the real experiences that are going on, like what's really happening. Mm -hmm. And too often we take that as, oh, that's our stasis. And no, it should be an example of something, you know, like, cause you'll hear statements where people are like, well, I've had this experience or that thing, or the classic line, I have a black friend, you know? And it's like, well, you could have a black friend and you could still be racist. Like, you know, I think that's the other thing I've come to realize all these people can make these claims why they can't be blamed to be racist. And I'm like, no, no, look at misogyny. Look at how many dads probably loved their daughters and still expected them to be cute little housewives. Like just because you have relationships doesn't mean you aren't, you don't have tendencies. So that doesn't mean that you weren't internalized and taught into racism and have been so socialized over the years, like every single one of us that I have had. Um, even other people of color uh, tell me that my experiences aren't what they are. Um, and that's, you know, what I try to get back to them is like, it's just because we are a minority and we're, you know, people of color and we've experienced, we've been on the receiving end of, of racism doesn't mean that we can't perpetuate the very things that we've been socialized and taught into over the years. I mean, I, I don't know about you, but I feel like as a child of the 80s and 90s, I was very much taught to not question the social structure within which we lived. It was just, it is, it was what, what it was. And the idea of um, considering whether it was possible or necessary to change a system that wasn't designed to benefit everyone equally, it never crossed my mind to question it, to, you know, the, the, some things didn't sit right with me, but it never crossed my mind to really push the issue and try to question it and say, well, why is it like that? And why can't, why, what, what can we do to change it? Why can't we change it? Mm. Yeah. Interesting. Do you think that's, I mean, was, are you saying that both culturally and in your family or more culturally? Um, you know, it's hard to, to tease apart, but I would say probably some family, culture aspect of that. Um, I'm sure I know that my mom would not appreciate me talking about <laughs> my family. But anyway, I'm sure there was some aspect of, you know, just family culture, especially as being, um, you know, for myself being first generation American, my parents were foreigners, they had very different views. Um, and they had very different views from each other being from different countries. But also, um, I think just 
you know, full on 80s socialization, as well as I think there was definitely an aspect of that that was a very, you know, gender, gendered socialization, right, as a woman, growing up as a girl. So, you know, there's that intersectionality between race and gender. So, you know, yeah, I think that's interesting. I hadn't thought about, you know, I think about a lot of the cultural impact we have. You know, I was sharing a story because I remember there's some famous ABC or NBC news report. I think it was from the middle of the 2000s. And, you know, it was a young black girl. She was like six. And they were like, oh, pick a doll. And she picked the white girl. And they were like, why? And she's Mm. like, the black girl is ugly. Like, Mm. she was six and she was already feeling like I was just like, it's horrifying. Mm -hmm. And I think to myself, like, did I as a white male have that? Or did I always have a feeling of, well, I can change things. I'll have to Hmm. think about that. Mm -hmm. That's kind of like, I'm wondering how much, you know, how does that change based on our identity versus that? Hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Do you feel like you have had experienced disadvantages because of your race? Honestly, no. I mean, I can't have anything come to mind, but I would also say part of that, I think that is my viewpoint where my life's pretty good. I have a lot of options. Like it's not, you know, if on occasion I'm getting disadvantaged because of my skin, I'm like, I'm kind of okay with that because things are good for me. Like, you know, if I honestly sit there objectively, it's not like I don't have challenges and I don't have things like that. But like, I know for a fact that a lot of doors and a lot of things just open up for me, not like huge, but at least like, you know, they tend to bias more in my in my favor in a lot of ways. I mean, I think the only thing I've ever felt any disadvantage or judgment has been more about being male than, than specifically than I think being a white male. Um, but uh, no, I wouldn't. Yeah. I mean, that's a thing where I hear a lot of people complain and again, they pick the one thing I didn't get into this school. I didn't do this. I didn't do that. And I'm like, yeah, but you're probably getting a 10th of the rejections that other people are like, I'm like, it's right. just, you know, and I think the only caveat I would get there, I think there is another difference is that, you know, I'm educated in middle-class very clearly in the middle-class. Uh, uh, and, you know, I do think about what it is to be white and poor. Cause I think that's an area that, that has some similarities. Like how do we treat people who are poor, who are obviously poor. And I think that that also happens and that I feel again, probably happens across the racial lines, Um, you know, more so to others, but to sit there and say that we don't discriminate against white poor, we don't judge against white poor, I think is also like, you know, sometimes that we miss in these conversations when we talk about privilege and everything else. Like part of my privilege is my parents were educated. They have college educations. I have a family that's multiple generations of family that's been financially stable. Like I have all these advantages that I think people don't always recognize that all these safety nets I have, the mere fact I know that if I lose all my money, I've got family and friends that I can rely on and there's no questions and I'm not, and I'm not going to be out on the loan. Like, you know, the safety net, I think is just the big thing. Yeah. Are we privileging the topic of race and race-based discrimination over other types of discrimination over other types of, um, ways in which our system, you know, is based. Yeah. 
you know, and I think I even saw something today where somebody was saying, do you get the feeling your white friends are more concerned about the plight of the blacks than they are your Asian and Latino and other friends of color? I think they were saying something like they're more likely to jump on that. And I, my view in it, and I look if people bring that up is I'm like, I don't think that's a debate to have to say, oh, we're over-prioritizing. I think it's openness discussion to say, hey, there's other aspects related to this that we should also be talking about, and sure. But at the same token, like, if we think about our modern world, like, there, I mean, if we wanted to sit here and list all the things I think are wrong in the world, we could be here for a while. And everybody's only got so much energy and the culture's only got so much energy and the shifts in the rides and it goes where it is. And there's clearly a problem and it has surfaced now. Do Are we going to fix it totally? No, it's, as you said, a journey. So maybe it's more about one race than the other right now, but guess what? We will probably shift and talk about others. And it doesn't mean there's not a space for people to talk about people of other identities. I mean, if we want to talk about it, the issue of rights for women has been going on for well over a hundred plus years. Like, you know, it didn't like you have the right to vote and end. Like we're still talking about because it it's still imbalanced and there's still, and that's still an issue that we need to talk about. So. Yeah. Yeah. What, what do you think America would be like if we no longer taught children about race? Um, I've got, I mean, I guess I've got a thought. Okay. What I kind of realized later on in life is that um, grandmother on my father's side, she was bigoted. She was racist. She was against, she was racist against, um, she's bigoted against Jews. She was definitely racist against blacks. And my father rebelled against that. But one of the things that I think about is when I grew up, not, none of that. He never spread any of that to me. Right. So like to me coming out of that, like, where did this come from? And so when you talk about America where we teach race, I'm like, you know, if we can make an effort to focus on what are those things that are perpetuating that changing those things in our media and our politics and the way that we talk about and in the way parents talk about it in a way where you're not perpetuating those things, even, even the minor things, maybe in that way you could reduce over time. I think the mere fact that these things are coming up and it's painful in a lot of ways and it's not always great and they're not comfortable topics. Like, I mean, I get that. I get that. It's not always comfortable to bring them up, but I, to me, it gives me hope. And so if those issues become less and less serious issues, it means we're moving in the right direction. Thanks for listening to United States of Race. This podcast was produced by me, D.B. Crema. We'd love to hear from you. Send us a one-minute voice memo with any reactions, questions, or stories you'd like to share. You can use the app on your phone to record the voice memo and email it to unitedstatesofrace at gmail.com. That's unitedstatesofrace at gmail.com. It might even be included in an upcoming episode. And be sure to hit follow or subscribe on whichever podcast platform you're listening. That way, you won't miss a single moment. Until next time.